Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Bethany Gilbert and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune and Pastor Dusty White of Coram Deo Church and Pastor Chris Emmelman of First City Church. Every Wednesday, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. Today, we're talking about the politics of parenting. Before we get to that, we've got a few updates, things we need to talk about. First, being your dog, Dusty. Oh, man. So sad. Oh, man. Guys, my dog died. I should say one of my dogs died. And it it feels a little bit like payback. (laughs) If you remember when we did the episode on pets, I had this just really quick comment towards you, Bob, where I was like, hey, remember when your dog died on Christmas? And you were very, you know, you were kind of, yeah, yeah, you're like, yeah, I remember that. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for rubbing it in. So, you know, just to update you all, our dog died 13 years old and he died while we were on vacation. I mean, (laughs) someone when our church was staying with your dog, poor gal was, she is now traumatized dog sitting, house sitting. And then she calls me at six 30 in the morning. She's like, Hey, uh, your dog died. Worst call to have her make. So sad. I'm sorry. I mean, there's like sad. the first day of your vacation too, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. We were beginning. <laughs> so, it's a way to start a vacation. So I'm like kids, family meeting. And they're like, whoa, dad, first day kind of starting off strong, aren't you? So yeah. That's golden doodles. 13 is about their lifespan. You're getting so, there. Don't yeah. tell Bethany. Oh, Bethany's feeling sorry. It. So okay. the, okay. the cool moment was we got a new puppy. Like, you know, I'd mentioned that on the podcast. Did so you this, call him demon or something? Yeah. He's now grown into his name, Roscoe, but he, yeah, sometimes still goes by demon. Uh, <laughs> he's like, you know, we got him in just in time. He's like, now he's, he's like redemptive yeah. dog, yeah. you know? You sequenced it out really well. So there's your update on my dog Yeah, I'm sorry. That's a bummer. Um, wah, wah. We have, oh, we have a lot of dog tragedies suddenly. Yeah. We did a dog episode and then, and now we're having like talk about dog tragedies. So now you can be like, hey, remember when you went on vacation and your dog died? Yes. Wow. I'm definitely going to use that. You guys can just Christmas vacation. Hey, a few shout outs to listeners. Uh, Garrett uh, from uh, uh, Rockford, Illinois, hooking us up with some amazing snacks today on the podcast. Mini bunt cakes. Oh, so good. Thank you, Garrett. Uh, They're delicious. in (laughs) In fact, he sent us 12 of them. Yeah. And there are only four of us on the podcast. So either we each get three or... We might be sharing with, you know, Share. other staff members and people. I mean, nothing wrong with eating three. Way to go, Garrett. <laughs> Put me into a sugar coma. Thank you get you. Real Try to eat three before the episode ends. Yeah. That's right. It's the challenge. Ready, go. Also, shout out to Drew. I'm going to try this name, Yelgerhus, I think. It's a Dutch name. And his he's, he wrote, and he said, you can probably tell by my last name that I'm Dutch. And he just wanted to say, hey, thanks. I've been listening. And here's, I like, I like when listeners want to call us out on things. Here's what Drew says. I've been in the plastics industry over the last 20 years. He's an engineer. Although your discussion of burning up plastic was humorous, I take umbrage with your insinuation that plastic is bad. God gave us the intellect and resources to create plastic. It is because of sin that we waste it and pollute with it. So fair point, Drew. (laughs) I was saying plastic is bad as a way of saying the way we waste and pollute with plastic is bad. I agree that plastic itself is not necessarily moral. It's just when we throw it in the ocean. I mean, we really couldn't exist or survive as a society without plastic anymore, right? <clears throat> I, mean, I think you're probably right. Everything, I mean, this, there's plastic in everything now. So, However, we yeah. don't want to throw it in the ocean and 
Please have don't it, do that. Have it bubbling up on remote islands in the volcanic rock, which is what Bethy and I were joking about recently. And I think what Drew was talking, I made an offhanded comment that Drew didn't like because he's like, hey, don't call plastic bad. And I like the neo-Calvinist instinct there to say, hey, all that God created is good. This is God's wonderful world. We can use it in unhelpful ways. So I agree, Drew. Thanks. Also, Bethany became famous yeah, or was recognized did. as famous she recently. Did. Ran into a, a local artist. Not, the, not famous. The local artist was like, I recognize your voice. And guess what? She's a listener to the Wednesday conversation. And I just appreciate that you're getting some love here because, I mean, we hear about <laughs> and meet people. I yeah. listen to the, the podcast. So for you to be recognized, Bethany. By your voice. Right. Even. Yes. Right. Like, wait, yep. I know that voice. It's yes. Bethany Gilbert from the yeah. Wednesday conversation. A voice suitable for the highest levels of NPR. It is. <laughs> it and is. So, Thank you. It. Yes, I'm glad you got some love and recognition. <laughs> Amazing. Hey, we don't want to tackle a, an article today from Leonard Sachs. This article came across my feed. I follow the, uh, the Institute for Family Studies at the University of Virginia. They do a lot of social science research on the family, just good social science data. And they posted this little article from Leonard Sachs. The name caught my eye because I bought one of Leonard Sachs's books about 15 years ago. He wrote a book on boys on basically like raising boys and boys adrift. Yeah. Boys adrift and how, you know, we were sort of failing our young men and you know, that, that continues to be a problem in society. Some of the, um, shift has, you know, some things have shifted since that book was written. It's probably 15 or 20 years old now, but I I recognize Leonard Sachs's name and, uh, the title of the article is do your political beliefs affect your parenting. We're going to get into the article a little bit in a few minutes and just help you, um, hear what he's saying in the case he wants to make here. And I think it's especially important for Christian parents. So I've realized some listeners to this podcast are, are parents trying to raise kids. And so this will be impactful for you. And for those of you who are just, you know, you're not parents, but you listen to the podcast. I think this is a, a place where the church needs to do some better work and where we can support and encourage one another in what it means to be a counter culture. And I thought it was really fascinating. I mean, one of the point he's making here is really fascinating. I'll get into it in a minute. But let me start out by backing out a little bit and telling a story or two. Years ago, years ago when my wife and I were young and had no kids yet, but we're trying to figure out, like, we just got married. We should probably start thinking about, like, how to be a couple and, you know, what are we going to do with our lives and that kind of thing. So we were a part of a church in Austin, Texas with this really wonderful older couple who basically gathered all these young couples in the church and basically like created this little, it was a Sunday school class, you know, it was old school, it was an old church structure. It's like, Hey, we went, you went to church on Sunday morning and first you went to Sunday school and then you went to church. So the Sunday school class was kind of like a big, small group and a lot of young couples. Anyway, this, this, uh, this older couple, just one of the things they taught a lot about was parenting. They would just talk a lot. They had four kids and they would talk a lot about how does God want us to raise kids? And one of the contrasts they always drew was the contrast between a child-centered home and a parent-centered home. And they said, surprisingly, this might sound counterintuitive to you, but your job as a Christian parent is to have a parent-directed home. You do not let your children direct you. Your job is to direct your children. Now, there's wise and gracious and godly ways to do that, but their point was that parents are to be an authority for their kids, and they're looking at verses like uh, you know, Ephesians 6, raise up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so they just would kind of hammer home, hey, we live in a culture that's very child-centered. Your job is to be different than that. You need to be the directive leader in your household, and you know your kids should obey you, and um, you need to teach them to honor authority and those kinds of things. 
Um, that, of course, has always been very countercultural for the last few decades in our culture. Yeah, there that was, was a, over 20 years ago. Yeah. There was a time, you know, maybe 50 or 60 years ago when that wouldn't have been very countercultural, but it is now. And uh, so I always enjoy, I always think about that because I think um, as I've watched people, you know, try to do the work of parenting, that always is the challenge is, am I going to let my kids be the boss? <laughs> Are the kids going to tell me what to do? Or am I going to try to, you know, maintain a sense of, proper authority in leading my household and expecting my kids to obey. And so when we teach on parenting at Quorum Deo, we just say, hey, one of the baseline expectations you should have is that your kids should obey. The interesting thing is, if you misuse your authority, if you're telling your kids to obey and they shouldn't obey, you're going to answer to God for that. They're not going to because they're they're doing what they should, which is to obey their parents. And so if you're if you're sinfully using authority, that's something you're going to stand before Jesus and answer for. Because what a lot of people want to say is like, well, aren't there cases where kids shouldn't obey their parents and they kind of want to get into those technicalities. But scripturally, the sort of a baseline dynamic in a Christian household is just parents are expected to lead and set an example, but also to discipline and raise their kids. So when social science research affirms the Bible's vision, I always want to, I always want to go, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> and that's kind of what happens in this article. Leonard Sachs is basically going to say, hey, I'm a family doctor. Here's a thing I'm seeing that is interesting to me. And basically what he lays out here is you're, what you're going to hear it as a Christian listener and go, oh, so what you're saying is like, if you just obey the Bible, <laughs> your kids are going to be pretty good. And when you don't do that, you end up creating downstream effects and problems. Now, what Leonard Sachs is doing is making a case here that he suggests that in the last 10 years, this is a relatively recent thing, He's seeing more and more parents who seem to bring their political convictions into their parenting in ways that are not helpful. So that's a particular angle he's taking on this. But I, from reading the article, especially in his conclusion, he's saying, hey, I'm not trying to make a political point here. I'm trying to make a point about what kids need. So, Chris, you want to read the opening paragraph? Because you, you were like, this can't be a real story. I swore this was, this was not real, but... So a mom brought her six-year-old daughter into the office with a fever and a sore throat. I asked the little girl to open her mouth and say, ah. She shook her head and clenched her mouth shut. Mom, it looks like I'm going to need your help here, I said. Could you please ask your daughter to open her mouth and say, ah. Mom arched her eyebrows and replied, her body, her choice. That's a real story. That's a real story. That like, really happened at folks, the doctor's office. This is what you call beyond parody. Because... It's like, how, this, this seems like a parody, <laughs> a but thing? it is a real thing. So he's saying, look, that's a, that's a slogan of abortion rights activists, my body, my choice. And this, this mom is saying, hey, my six-year-old man, she don't want to open her mouth and say, oh, I'm not going to you know, make her do that. And he's saying, I had never seen that before. He's like, I've been a family doctor for 34 years. This is, a, we're in new territory here, is what he's suggesting. Let me read a few sentences from the article. Leonard Sachs writes, eight years ago, I wrote a book called The Collapse of Parenting, which became a New York Times bestseller. I wrote the book because I had noticed more and more parents were becoming too permissive. As I showed in the book, that trend toward permissiveness wasn't confined to families in my practice. Scholars now find that the culture of the United States is increasingly a culture in which children rule. Parenting researchers have consistently found that the best parents, the parents whose kids are most likely to thrive as adults, are parents who are authoritative, meaning parents who are both strict 
and loving. They are not too hard or too soft. They are just right. I think in his book, he contrasts authoritative with authoritarian and then permissive. So he's saying like there, you know, there's the spectrum. You can be an authoritarian parent where it's like, do what I say. No one cares what you think. That's not good. And permissive is kids do whatever you want. And he's saying the, the best outcomes come from parents who are authoritative, meaning both strict and loving. He goes on to say, I've noticed something new. For the first time, I'm seeing a political dimension to parenting. I'm seeing a growing number of parents like the mom I just described, parents who truly believe that it's virtuous to let the kid be in charge, even when the kid is a six-year-old with a fever who's refusing to let the doctor look at her throat. He goes on to describe this. Apparently, there's kind of a whole paradigm of parenting here called gentle parenting or mindful parenting or intentional parenting. And this mindset is you should let the child decide. He writes, the gentle parent never uses punishments of any kind, not even timeouts. The gentle parent does not toilet train the child, but instead models toileting for the toddler, which it is hoped will inspire the toddler to want to use the toilet instead of the diaper. And so he's, he's pointing out, um, that's kind of an odd, that's, that's not going to go very well. <laughs> that's going to take a while. His point, however, is that he's increasingly seeing this kind of parenting among parents who would fall on the more left, what he calls the left of center side of the political spectrum. That it used to be, you know, he would see bad parenting models on both the left and right, and it was kind of an equal measure. But he says what he's noticed in the past few years is that more and more parents who kind of follow this gentle parenting approach tend to be progressive left in their political ideology. And he suggests, he says there's a bunch of, in fact, he, he has a chart in here that's um, a, a research from Columbia University that kind of connects to our most mm -hmm. recent podcast episode where we talked about, you know, the, the rise in suicidal ideation among teenage girls. And he says that what these researchers found out as they sort of did the data analysis is not just that teenage girls are more likely than teenage boys to be depressed, but that left of center adolescents are more likely to be depressed than right of center adolescents. And in fact, that left leaning politically left of center boys are more likely to be depressed than right of center girls, which is an interesting finding. And he says, a lot of people have tried to explain this. So there's one uh, researcher who tried to say, this is because the country has tilted rightward. And so, you know, that's why this is happening. There's another researcher who disagreed and said, no, it's because left of center kids are more likely to be on social media. And so that's why they're more depressive. Uh, he mentions John Haidt, who we talked about in the last podcast, who has rejected both of those articles or both of those um, analyses or reasons. And Haidt argues that the real reason that left of center kids are more likely to be depressed is because they've been taught to catastrophize events and, and that right of center kids tend to be more optimistic. Leonard Sachs says, hey, these are all ways of parsing this data. He says, this, these are all missing an explanation, which from my perspective as a family doctor is more obvious. And his perspective is the reason left of center kids tend to be more depressive is because their parents are more aggressively permissive. Their parents are overwhelmingly likely to be sort of, you know, let the kids do what they want. And that kind of parenting 
According to research, let me read you what Leonard Sachs says. The researchers have found that permissive parenting leads to young adults with less sense of meaning and purpose in life, less autonomy, and less mastery of the world around them. Other researchers have reported that permissive parenting is associated with an increased risk of drug and alcohol abuse. And authoritative parenting is associated with lower risk of drug and alcohol abuse. And so he's saying, I think that um, parenting makes a difference in the kid's behavior. And so while some researchers are saying, you know, maybe it's that kids on the progressive left are more on social media, or, you know, maybe it's that uh, the country has moved rightward and so kids are just more left in general. Leonard Sachs is saying, I want to hypothesize that part of what's creating this is that parents are (laughs) placing a bunch of burdens onto their kids by expecting the kids to sort of direct their own lives and lacking a a clear sense of boundaries and rules and authority, and that that doesn't set kids up to thrive, especially in their teenage years. Let me read you his conclusion, and then we're going to talk about it. He says, I'm a family doctor, not a politician. I'm not suggesting that left-of-center parents should adopt right-of-center politics. I just ask that parents keep politics out of their parenting. Your child, your teenager, needs you as the parent to provide structure, to set boundaries, and to lay down guardrails that are enforced. This has nothing to do with blue states versus red states or Democrat versus Republican. This is about what every kid needs to thrive. And I think that's an interesting perspective. He's just saying what kids need is a household where there's some rules and boundaries and authority. And when there's a healthy sense of authority, kids tend to thrive. And when you tell your six-year-old that they don't have to open their mouth for the doctor, that's not really going to set them up well for thriving later in life. Dusty, you're rubbing your forehead. Well, I'm rubbing my forehead because I just, you know, I got a couple paragraphs in and I was just like, this is sad, frustrating, making my blood boil, lots of things, you know? So I think it's interesting too. He's not really saying this in here, but it seems like this has just been a drift. This is just, this has just happened to our culture. It's not like we decided to let our politics affect our parenting. It just has happened. And I think it's interesting that he's saying it's happened since I wrote that book eight years ago. And I think you could also argue it's probably happened more aggressively since 2016 Yeah, after, you know, uh, everybody just starts identifying with politics much more. Yeah. Well, you think of how hard decision-making sort of the burden of responsibility can be for adults sometimes. And to put that on a child who hasn't developed emotionally, intellectually, you're you're just thinking, parents, what are you thinking? Like, think of how hard this is for you. And now you want to lay that burden on top of your kid before they're ready for that responsibility it's like, hey, you're six, you should go out and drive, you know, go go out into traffic. Or you think of the, the the other activities that we wouldn't throw somebody into the deep end with. And so just even at a, just a practical level of this, like just remove the philosophy of just, hey, to, to saddle your kid with this much responsibility and to center them so much, that that is unhealthy for anybody, but especially someone with that, where they are just developmentally, emotionally, and intellectually. My hypothesis is that this is the death of late-stage liberalism. I did a talk on this last year that mm. basically w- what we've bought into is that freedom is the highest good. Yeah, yeah. And so if freedom is the highest good, 
then every single person should have as much freedom as possible. And if you take that to the nth degree, it's just like, well, then why should you tell your six-year-old they have to open their mouth for the doctor? Because it should be their free choice. And when you sort of take the the commitment to freedom and and blow, blow it wide open like that, you see how it gets us to really self-defeating places. Yeah. But I think this is the idolatry of the United States of America, and this is what's behind so much of our political dis discourse, our social discourse, our confusion as a society is if, if the highest good is freedom and any restrictions on freedom are in some way oppressive and evil and wrong, then you can see how parents get here. Like, well, I don't, man, I don't want to oppress my kid by telling them they got to eat their vegetables, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah, And explains a lot too, because as he was pointing out, there used to be more of a common ground when you think about parenting of the discipline, the structure that, you know, parents are the authority. They need to lead their kids and how that has, that common ground has just been lost. And I guess that's, in a sense, what freedom does, like the absolute elevation of freedom. It erodes yes. any sort of common ground, any sort of structure, limitations. And it, it, yeah, it, it is fascinating to me just how far this is getting pushed to where like really a six-year-old gets to dictate what's happening in your home. Well, the question you should ask are, and the question listeners should ask, theologically is, is there such thing as good authority? The Bible's answer is yes. God's authority is good. The authority of parents is good. The authority of, you know, authority figures is good. It can be used sinfully because human beings are sinful, but authority rightly understood and rightly used is a blessing from the Lord. If you believe that no authority is good authority, which is kind of where our culture has ended up, it's yeah. so it's so egalitarian and so equity minded. It's just like there can't be any authority telling you what you can do, and and if that's where we go, if you're if you're going to believe the hypothesis that hey, no authority can be possibly be good, then I think that's how you get here. It's just because you, you can't you know we live in a society where it's like any exercise of authority must be oppressive, bad, evil, and. If you ask, how does the gospel shape a counterculture? How, how, how is there an opportunity here for the church? I think the opportunity for the church is, hey, if the church is a place where actually we still believe in parental authority in a meaningful way, not that parents you know, can be tyrants over their kids. There does need to be authority around the parents as well, which is why the local church matters. But if we just believe, hey, the church is a place where we expect kids to obey <laughs> and where we teach them boundaries, that is going to increasingly be insanely countercultural and hopefully beautifully countercultural because I, I think the data shows as we titled our podcast last week, the kids are not all right. The kids are not doing well with no authority. It's interesting how this cultural sh- drift has just happened. Um, you know, like if you, Bob, if you take your kids out to a restaurant, even just 10 years ago, you would have older folks say to you, man, your kid, you know, like on their way out after they pay the check, they're like, wow, your kids are just so well behaved, you know? And you're like, well, we're at a restaurant. Like that's just kind of the basic expectation, you know, but it's not the expectation anymore. So we had a neighbor kid and he, uh, this is a couple of years ago and we're all out. There's a few neighbors and this kid just like went, just, just went off and hit me like in the leg, you know, it didn't hurt. And I, I just corrected and said like, Hey, we don't hit. And the dad looked at me and said, oh man, he wails on me. And at least he didn't cuss you out. Like, that's what he said to me. And I just thought, hmm, that's not going to go well. Yeah. It's not going well for you. It's definitely not going to go well for him. And this whole idea of just this drift that, that has happened 
Christians have to feel a little bit uh, isolating in this if they want to, but Ephesians 6 calls children's children to obey your parents. And then the other thing the scripture calls parents to is don't provoke your kids to anger. Yeah. So that would be the bad thing. The good thing is children need to obey. Yeah. And, and you should, so if you're a parent listening to this podcast, I just want to give you the freedom. You should expect your kids to obey and you should not have a child centered household. Um, this, this is couple going back to this couple in Austin, Texas that sort of mentored us when we were young. They used to say, Hey, you should be able to come home from work and tell your kids to go play in the other room while you talk to your spouse and your kids should do that. And they should not like expect that you're going to drop everything and attend to them. That's just healthy. Like it's healthy for kids to know like, Hey, I'm going to come play with you in a minute, but first I want to talk to your mom or your dad. And I was just like, well, yeah, that's really common sense, but it does take a certain kind of training because every child is self-interested and they're, you know, they're going to immediately want attention or want to sort of be the center of attention. And so it really does help when you train your kids just to go like, Hey, we're not going to ignore your needs, but first, you know, let me, let me talk with mom and dad for five minutes. Um, and just having an older couple say things like that was so helpful to just go, Oh, okay. So that's, that's what I should like be aiming at. It's so freeing when you build that kind of a culture in your household and you just know that like, you can take your kids out to a restaurant and it's not going to be a fight the whole time, you know, and they're not going to be melting down um, because you've trained them to honor authority and you've worked on some training things and some obedience things that, that matter in a moment like that. So I, I, I do read this article to tell us, I mean, this is a family doctor just talking about what he sees in his own practice and he's saying, yep, this is emblematic of what's going on in broader society. I take this to mean, yes, Christian parenting is going to feel more and more countercultural. And there's going to need, we're going to need more and more co-belligerence. You know, you need to, you know, you're going to be wanting your kids to be around other Christian households so that they see those same things valued and modeled. And so they can understand, oh, they, we do things differently than the family next door, you know, who the kid can, can hit dad and cuss him out. You know, we, we don't, our house doesn't work that way. And that's, you want your kids to be able to see those differences. Or even to be careful of the the subtle ways that this creeps into some Christian culture where maybe not that extreme, but there, there can still be like subtle ways where there's these shifts towards a little more parent or a child centric home or the, I mean, so, some of the description of the permissive or the intentional parenting, I've heard similar philosophies come out of Christian mouths. Yes. yes. And, and again, it isn't the whole scale kid that gets to do whatever he wants, but it's still, is presupposes some of these assumptions and it's still going to do damage yes. in, in ways. Yes. Um, and listen, you know, parenting's hard work. Kids are selfish. Parents are selfish. Everyone's a sinner. So just like, yeah, there's, yeah like, absolutely. there's not perfection here, but I used to, one of the things that was really helpful that this uh, couple that mentored us used to say, and it's proven to be true in my own family and I've seen it true as people have tried to obey the scriptures and how they raise their kids, they just used to say, Hey, if you just, if you just work hard in the first five years, you'll be really thankful when your kid's yeah. 15, you know, it's just like, don't put up with that when they're four. Cause it's a lot worse when they're 14. You know, they were, they were just like fight the battles when they're little for obedience and respect. Cause that really helps when they're a teenager because that's been built into them. And it, you know, it's again, it's just basic proverbial wisdom. They're not saying anything. The Bible hasn't said for thousands of years, but it is interesting how much more countercultural it is and how even in Christian circles, like you're saying, Chris, because of the society around us, 
there's kind of an impulse to sort of just like, you know, let your kids kind of do what they want and have their own way. And, you know, don't be too authoritarian. Don't, ex- don't, don't be disciplining all the time. And, yeah. you know, don't expect they're going to do everything you say right when you say it and those kinds of things. And so the more, the more we sort of expect or, or build a child centered environment, the more I think you can expect that that's, that's going to lead to some, some chaos and some difficulty. And along to your, your point with the countercultural, is, is there a potential opportunity here for kind of gospel witness and an apologetic for the gospel? If, if we are dedicating to discipling and raising kids that, that through common grace, it's not going to just be Christians that necessarily this happens, but because of holding these biblical principles, raising kids that have a deeper sense of meaning and purpose and are able to function with autonomy and master the world around them and more emotional intelligence and personal growth, that there's a, there's a, an effect here that could be seen by the world that's attractive and it opens doors for deeper conversations, whether gospel conversations are just like, Hey, the Bible is wise. And, and here's why, you know, why our kids are actually well-behaved in in a restaurant and don't smack me when I redirect them, you know, just the, 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 the countercultural, the, the hope is that there's actual space to, that people notice that because this, this is creating chaos. You can't imagine that this is what people are ultimately going to want long-term. Yes. And well, there's, there's something you said that triggered a thought in my mind and it kind of connects to what you said about the couple in the restaurant, Dusty. I have had, you know, people express surprise of like, your kids are so well-behaved as though like my kids are, are uniquely not sinful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just like, my kids are terrible. Your kids, you must've got a really good hand dealt to you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like it's an accident. And yeah. I'm like, no, I've worked my butt off yes. to try to yes. parent my kids. Like my ki- you could do the same thing. So I, I, I really want to remove from people that like, well, you must just have better kids than me as yeah. though parenting bears no impact on how the kids develop. Because it actually does. And that's covenantal. The reason that's true is because the Bible is true. And because God has set up the world in a way that as we obey him as parents, that does bear fruit in our kids, fruit of obedience, fruit of self-control, fruit of a a healthy sense of self and a good identity. That all is, as you said, common grace results of biblical wisdom. And so we as Christians need to stop pretending that that stuff's just magic. And it's just like, man, you must just have really great kids. I don't know. I must have got it dealt a different hand. Yeah. Um, there, there are differences in kids' temperaments, and I'm not pretending that everybody has the exact same thing to work with, but I do think it's interesting. Let me read these three or four sentences again because what Leonard Sachs is saying is these models of parenting bear different outcomes. And I like when a social scientist who's not a Christian is saying that because it's, it's not just me as a pastor saying like, just do what God says and it's going to work. It's like, no, actually the social science says these types of parenting have different outcomes in the kids. So let me read you this again from the center of this article. Researchers have found that permissive parenting leads to young adults with less sense of meaning and purpose in life, less autonomy, and less mastery of the world around them. Permissive parenting leads to lower emotional intelligence and lower personal growth. Permissive parenting is associated with an increased risk of drug and alcohol abuse. So the, the, this is research just saying like, hey, the, the, more, the, the fewer boundaries and rules and sense of authority you have in a household, the more it's leading to these kinds of bad outcomes for the human beings who grew up in that household. That's not to say the grace of God can't change that or mitigate that, but it just does mean 
what we do as moms and dads has an effect on the people that we're raising. And that should not surprise anyone. <laughs> That's basic social dynamics. So, so it does, I think, help us to redouble our efforts and say, okay, let's try to, you know, obey the Lord as best we can and help one another and create in churches a context where men, we work together on parenting and where we're saying, Hey, how can I help you? How can you help me? How can we, you know, conspire together? How can we work hard to build an environment where parents are helped and equipped and served and where we have lots of resources coming around kids and, and helping, you know, to, to fill in the gaps um, where parents need to be more faithful and assertive. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for it, for not just a church, but the church, like I said, even my church in Austin, Texas years ago, that just had a community like that where I could just figure it out and learn and be taught some things. And, and we need to create those kind of environments as churches. The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in and we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We love to hear from listeners, so if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, send an email to podcast at cdomaha.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.